Hi there, and welcome back to the latest episode of the Wednesday's Child podcast. I've got a really special guest on with me today, and I would say that I'm a bit biased because she's part of our Wednesday's Child crew. It's Dr. Sarah Betteridge. Hi, Sarah, how are you? Hi, Debbie. I'm good, thank you. Now, some of you that are listening will know that Dr. Sarah has been working with us for a little while, providing some amazing family therapy input um, for those of you that are kind of battling your way through an eating disorder journey or are helping somebody with that journey. So I thought we'd start by a little bit of um, background, really, um, Dr. Betridge, around kind of how you got involved in this work and also then how you found your way stumbling into the world of supporting people with eating disorders and why you found that such a fascinating arena. Sure. Um, so I trained as a psychologist um, initially and my background was working with adults with learning disabilities um, and then a bit later on adults with sort of severe mental health issues. Um, and certainly when I was working in the learning disability field, you know, often a lot of those adults would still be living at home, um, would have a lot of support from family and, and their social networks. So it was always work you know although we would be working with a client we'd always be thinking about okay how can the family be involved how can the school be involved or the college or um, you know who else is around and how does that all fit in with that person's life so it was always really thinking systemically and, and thinking about that person and their social network and, and who they know in their lives um, so it's something that I suppose I've done from the very start of my training really and then when I moved into adult mental health and and spent many years on acute hospitals psychiatric hospitals um unfortunately I suppose my experience is how how challenging the system is how broken it is in many places and how difficult it is for people in that system oh um, amen to that sister I can <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know how politically correct to be. <laughs> no, no. Uh, it's it doesn't work for many people, um, and it's not somewhere that you would want your family member really. Um, and so that sort of started a journey of what else is out there? How else do other people um, work with these presentations around the world? You know, we work a very medical model my experience in the 20 years is that doesn't actually work very well it works for a small number of people sometimes but not for the majority um and what else is out there and uh, the basically i ended up Um, being opened and has had a lot of success with people suffering from psychosis where after two years of, of this therapy input they've made a full recovery um, and, have, and have stayed recovered for, for decades which is not what we see in this system once you have a diagnosis of psychosis usually you'll be in and out of the system for most of your life every few years you might end up in hospital and uh, there's lots of drugs involved um, and so this was a very different model no drugs involved people were getting better after a couple of years and staying better um, and so it's you know it was definitely I was interested right from the start and I was in the right place at the right time um, and where I was working uh, one of the medical directors also you know felt very passionately about doing things differently and he's managed to get funding for an NHS trial so there is now currently a NHS trial happening with open dialogue um, but it is a completely different way of working and the 
of that is working with everyone that's involved with that client. So it's not just working with the client, it's working with their family, their friends, the system, doctors, nurses, everyone that's involved with that person. It's, it's a joint approach and we all come together and we all have conversations about this person. Um, it's almost like that kind of old fashioned idea of it takes a village, you know, in any, uh, you know, the idea to get somebody well or to achieve something, we have to come together in common good. Absolutely, absolutely. And, the, you know, we can't treat people just as individual people in silos, because as soon as you leave that therapy session or that meeting with your psychiatrist, you go back out into the world with colleagues and friends and family and whoever you're, you're around. And what happens to you in life is usually related to a relationship that you're in, in some way, shape or form. You know, if, if you're sad about something, it's usually because something's happened to someone that you care about or something's happened in your life with the people that are involved with, you know, it's usually something that is only to do with you. Um, so it's helpful to talk about that. Yeah, so that's, that's my journey to open dialogue. Um, I'm very passionate about the model. I could spend couple of hours talking to you about the model so I won't do that today um, but essentially um, I've always worked with adults so when I was starting to use this model in the NHS it was with adults with mental health issues and their families um, and that's what I wanted to do more of I wanted to do more kind of adult family therapy um, and unfortunately again one of the many issues um, in the system is that that therapy isn't um doesn't have a huge chunk of the budget it doesn't have a huge chunk of um of the thinking and of the kind of development of treatments so um there was actually a culling of adult family therapy across the country and, and they're very rare to find now in the nhs there's there's not very many um adult family therapy posts and that was where i came across on the on an adult eating disorder unit um, so they were looking for a family therapist who who works with adults and their families and that's how that's how I stumbled into eating disorders <laughs> wow. so why do you think family therapy works as well as it does um, when it comes to dealing with eating disorders I think often people who are really struggling with an eating disorder either end up back at home or are at home and so a lot of people that I've worked with um, are with their families on a 24-hour on a basis. Um, and those families are very much involved with mealtimes and snack times and, you know, all those things around food. And, um, but also just genuinely concerned about their loved one and, and don't know what to do. Um, so they're very much involved in that person's life. Um, and it's really important to, to involve them in their recovery as well, because if they're there with them, on a daily basis um, then they're the best people to involve in their recovery as well um, but I, I guess also perhaps even if you're not living with parents there yeah. is also the argument that communication around something as sensitive as an eating disorder can be the trigger point as to whether somebody is continues to progress well in their recovery journey or mm. is set backwards and I, I think that you know that perhaps the opportunity for family to learn what you know successful if you like or healthy communication around that eating disorder is I, I think that's really useful to make sure that family and friends become cheerleaders rather than potential flies in the ointment yeah absolutely yeah you know whether you're living with them or not they're still you know a part of your life and um we very much see i mean so i've got the open dialogue um which which views everybody as as important 
and then when I came into the eating disorder service I was introduced to a model that that was familiar to me but I hadn't um, seen it in the field of eating disorders with family therapy and that's called emotion focused family therapy for eating disorders um, and that model very much sees people's family as key um, key people in recovery you know it's not about blame it's not about um criticizing it's about the fact that actually their best place to offer that support and and be one of the the cheerleaders as, as you mentioned so, so they can yeah. kind of facilitate the success of, of a recovery journey absolutely absolutely yeah um, so it's vital that people, I mean, I know that already since you've been working with us, I've had conversations with people and suggested family therapy. And I think for anybody that's not heard about family therapy specifically before, there's almost a sense that, oh, no, I haven't got a bad relationship with my parents or, oh, no, 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 we're not a bad family. It's almost like a defensive mechanism that yeah. as if you can only enter into family therapy if you've got a terribly destructive and you know toxic family relationship but it's not that at all is it no not at all it's it's really funny because when I started to move into family therapy about five years ago whenever I would have conversations with people they'd be like oh in their faces it's like I would never have family therapy with my family and they will say that to me sometimes I could never have therapy with my mum or my dad or you know and I mean, one-to-one -one therapy in this country still is not, you know, it's not like America where, it, you know, it's, it's socially okay for people to be in therapy. Here, I think it is still a bit more of a stigma. But then family therapy on top of that feels like it's, it's even more of a, of a stigma. And, oh, no, you know, I think there's a fear. There's a fear that um, there'll be blame found for the eating disorder or whatever the, the issue is. And, um, and, of course, people are going to be worried about um, feeling blamed. But, uh, you know, I suppose one of the main things from this podcast for me is to really, <laughs> to really say to people that is absolutely not what family therapy is about. And, and blame is just really destructive and that's not helpful but what is helpful is looking at what families have been through and how that might have affected people differently so there's often you know experiences that families have been through where some family members have just managed to kind of pick themselves up brush, brush themselves off and and carry on with life uh, and some family members were really affected by those things and it can be really helpful to just explore that and hear that and hear each other um without feeling sort of blame just to be heard and be validated that that your experience was different and maybe more difficult and almost giving a voice i guess and, and making sure somebody's got the opportunity to share how they feel yeah absolutely so yeah it's definitely it definitely has a reaction when i say family therapy um and a lot of people can't imagine themselves in a room with with their families um and in a way I that's would okay because they don't need to be in a room now they can just do it over zoom <laughs> they can, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely um I suppose two things really I'd encourage them to maybe connect with other families that have had it um and you know really kind of ask those questions that they're kind of worried about and and see what it was like for, for other families because it is one of those things that until you try a little bit really explain you know you've kind of got to experience it um but secondly that that we really or I certainly do not come from a position of 
of blame or trying to find whose fault it is, but more that it is a safe space for families to explore some of the really difficult things that they're going through on a daily basis. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? And and also probably worth saying that when we talk about your work in family therapy, it doesn't necessarily mean that somebody has to come to a session with you with three, four other members of the family, does it? It could be that you just still do a session just for that one person, but you talk maybe a little bit more about family or equally that the person going through the eating disorder might not join the session, but mum and dad might, for example. Absolutely. Yeah. A combination of anything is, is welcome. You know, as you say, my focus will be on relationships and, and family dynamics. And, you know, I might, we might be talking about something and then I might say, what do you think dad would think about that? What do you think grandma might say about that? And, and so we'll be thinking in the session about the relationships that you have and how you feel, um, uh, you know, they, that what they think about what's happening to you. Um, uh, yeah. And any combination um is 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 very welcome partners even friends or you know a lot of people don't have anyone that they can bring um they might not have a good relationship they might not that other person might not want to come but um i guess the philosophy that the background that i come from is that anybody that is in your life that wants to come would be fine it would the more the more voices the better and actually, for me, anybody that wants to show up to a session, that already says that these are the very people who have the empathy and the desire to help. They're the ones who don't want to be clumsy over their language. They don't want to be saying or doing the wrong thing. They want to help you get well. So whether they're kind of involved with you because they've got a wedding ring on the finger or they were kind of related to you by birth, actually, that doesn't matter so much. It could be a best friend, couldn't it? It could be a flatmate. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So what kind of um, people would you want to hear from then to start to do some work with you? Would you say it's people that have had some degree of therapy beforehand and have now decided they want to try a different route? Or does it not matter if they're very, very new to their journey and haven't ever tried therapy before? No. So, I mean, it really doesn't matter. I guess the sessions would look very different for people at different stages of their journey. Um, and depending on what they wanted from the space, it would look very different, but it, the, the therapy is designed in a way that whatever you feel like would be helpful to bring to the room is is what we'll work with so it could be as you say somebody right at the start of the journey that just wants a space to to just explore and, and understand and and think about how to, where to go from here it may be someone that's been in the journey five six seven years uh, has tried everything out there and is stuck and doesn't know what else to do it may be someone that's been there for for much longer um, and has really come to the understanding that they want to do some work on their relationships and actually these relationships have been tested and, and challenged for a long time and they're ready to to work on them and sometimes it's when we come to an end of a relationship or that some for some reason the dynamic of a relationship shifts that actually then we're prepared to come forward and want to seek to do something about ourselves because if we're not careful we can hide ourselves in that relationship yeah absolutely and it's it's actually been one of the challenges for me of um doing more community-based work because most of my work over the last sort of 10 15 years has been inpatient based and the open dialogue model is very much based on crisis the, the, the understanding is that in a change can happen in a crisis because people get to that point of crisis actually if you all come together at that point and give it space that's where real change can start to happen 
Um, and actually, because when we're not in crisis, we kind of get used to our little routines and we kind of keep going and, and, and don't necessarily have the motivation to challenge some of those unhelpful and healthy ways of living. But when you're in a crisis, there's more of a motivation to do that. Um, so in the community, it, it is more about, you know, what are you ready to work on? What do you think will be important to work on and, and have some space for and, um, and to be ready to do that? Um, and if you are, then it, then it is a really, really helpful space to have. So anecdotally, and I'm not saying that everybody that's lived through COVID so far has hated living with their family and friends during lockdown, <laughs> but have we potentially seen more people wanting to come forward and do some work, do we think, as a result of what the world is going through right now? I would definitely say that COVID has absolutely personally, yes, some families have coped brilliantly, but most families, you know, because we are not used to literally spending all day with each other. There's usually school or work or something that's, that's giving us a bit of a during the day. So I think many families have, um, have felt that pressure and that struggle. We know obviously uh, domestic abuse rates have gone up. Uh, there are unfortunately um, more um, murders during that period from domestic abuse um, and uh, suicide. So we know that, you know, it's had a massive effect on people's mental health and, and what happens um, inside a family home. But even for families in which things like domestic abuse or mental health issues weren't there before, you know, it's added a level of stress, it's added a level of anxiety, it's added a level of depression sometimes for people, maybe not clinically, but, you know, people have really felt it. Um, have we seen an increase in people wanting family therapy? I think, I think at the moment, people are still trying to keep calm and carry on. <laughs> I think they are still kind of like, we'll, we'll, we'll get out of it soon, we'll get out of it soon. Um, but I think where there has been an existing, whether it's an eating disorder or, or, or mental health issue, um, certainly, yeah, certainly there has been an increase in people reaching out for help, which has been great, actually, because, yes, we've spoken about COVID, but it's also given us an opening to talk about everything um, and, and things from the start and, you know, where the eating disorder came in and how that's been. It's allowed us a way in, I would say, um, to actually talk about some of the stuff that's really important amazing so another big um topic of conversation which not covid but christmas um obviously we're entering into the festive season i just thought if we could end on a couple of tips or thoughts you might have for just i mean not that we're all going to have a, as big a family meetup this christmas as we might have done previously but are there any particular things that people that are battling with their eating disorder might want to think about in terms of those family relationships and how they can almost not wrap cotton wool around themselves but kind of prepare themselves and handle environments with family better over the Christmas season yeah I mean I I would I would start by thinking about stress for everybody for the for the person and for their family and just like many other um illnesses or presentations in that any stress on top of it is is going to make it worse um so just thinking about and, and I'm actually hoping that this year, because it is pared down, that will also mean that it will be slightly less stressful for a lot of families. There are a lot of families, and I hear this often in my family work, where Christmas is a really special time and lots of stuff happens and there's lots of stuff planned. But actually, it's really, really stressful. 
And to be able to do all of that stuff and plan all of that stuff takes a lot of admin. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of usually on one person. Um, and there's a lot of stress and tension in the air because people want it to go right and they want everything to be nice and they want, you know, the dinner to be right and they want the games to go well and, you know, all of that. And um, whilst they think they might be hiding that level of stress underneath, other people around will, will pick it up and they will also kind of feel the stress and the tension as well. And that's usually where you kind of get the arguments, you know, and, and I'm not saying these are kind of to be avoided um, because, you know, all families will get frustrated with each other, but Christmas tends to kind of elevate that and, or, or highlight that or make that slightly worse. So for everyone, I, I would, especially if you do have a family member that's struggling with their mental health, to keep a check on your individual stress levels. And if everybody's keeping a check on their own stress levels, that will help everybody else as well. Um, and to just try and keep it to a minimum, to really, to really sort of understand that Christmas is not the time that you're going to fix the eating disorder or solve the eating disorder or make it disappear for a few days. Um, so just don't try. I know a lot of families who um, just really want their loved one to enjoy the meal with everybody else and, and for it to be absolutely normal. And, you know, and, and actually that's it's just not the right time for that to happen. It's it's too much. It's too stressful. There's usually too much food. Um, and so to try and think of ways together, again, it will depend on what part of the journey that you're on. If you've been struggling with an eating disorder for many years, you might be at a place where you could actually sit down as a family and have a bit of a chat about, about the day and about what, what's going to work for the family, what's going to work for that person, what could they eat that they will be okay with and will keep them safe, but isn't necessarily a full Christmas dinner. How, what would that look like? Um, and to really, really carve out some time to check in with each other of, of how you're doing on that day. You might go out for a walk or just have some downtime. Um, to just check in but if you're kind of monitoring your stress levels trying to keep them low not thinking that you can make the eating disorder disappear for a couple of days and actually coming to a bit of an agreement between you all of what Christmas might look like and 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 some compromises maybe on both sides um, to me that that should help you to have a bit of a better day <laughs> because otherwise actually you know I've worked with many families where Christmas is the worst time of the year for them um you know when they have a loved one with an eating disorder uh, it's very stressful and it's very sad because it highlights it highlights the problem it highlights that they have a loved one who isn't able to enjoy it in the same way that everybody else is is enjoying it as well so it's it's really sad and often people's sadness turns into anger and frustration on the day um so so keeping an eye on that really um yeah. there's a bit of self-responsibility for us all to kind of all of us whether we're the one with the illness or not we check in we know how we're feeling how we're dealing with our our mood and our, our thoughts about different situations and and probably the most important thing I think sometimes is just accept the imperfect you know stuff's gonna happen you're not gonna like that present or that person's not gonna react well to what you bought or dinner's gonna be two hours later than we thought because the oven breaks or somebody forgets to put the potatoes on exactly. but we're still all together and we're still trying to just muddle our way through exactly absolutely people could accept the imperfect we'd all be a lot happier I think actually yeah so true so true oh well it's been great to chat to you thank you Sarah we'll de definitely do this again because I know people will be fascinated to hear more about your work thank you so much for your time thank you for having me take, take care, care.